today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Cash and Carry Kitchens. At the heart of Irish homes for over 40 years. Cashandcarrykitchens.ie Email todaycb at rte.ie. Now, earlier this week on the programme, you might remember if you were listening, we had an item on retrofitting and we had so many texts from people telling us about the challenges and the expense involved of improving the energy rating in their home. And biofuels, they're being heavily promoted as a more carbon friendly option for aviation shipping and heavy duty road transport. But is it a feasible option to heat our homes? Is it a greener and more sustainable option? Joining me now is Kevin McPartland who's CEO of Fuels for Ireland and one of the founding members of the Alliance for Zero Carbon Heating. Dr Paul Dean is on the line, energy researcher at University College Cork and you're both welcome. Thank you for being here. Kevin, I want to um, get the basics from you on this because it's hydrogenated vegetable oil, HVOs. It's, it's produced from waste plant batter. It can be used as a direct replacement for diesel but then if it's blended with kerosene you can use it as a home heating fuel. Isn't that right? Yeah, well look, the first thing to say is that HVO is one of the examples of advanced synthetic biofuels. It's the one that's currently most popular, but I don't think anybody thinks that it's going to be the long-term full-time okay. solution. But you represent the, the fuel industry and, mm-hmm. and this initiative you're involved in is involved, it's funded by the main players in Ireland's home heating sector. Mm-hmm. So your contention is that we should be ramping up the use of HVO. Is, is that what you're saying? Very much so. So so what we have at the moment is there's about 700,000 homes in Ireland relying on oil for their heating at this point in time, okay? It's actually increased in the last couple of years, which is strange given what we what, the, the efforts that we're all making. Of those, about 250,000 are using non-condensing boilers, old, inefficient units. If they were replaced with condensing boilers, they would reduce their consumption by about 25% and their emissions by slightly more than that because they're cleaner. So that's the first thing we need to do. The second thing we need to do is look at the fuel that's going into them. So right now, it's pretty much all kerosene, okay? And the same that we're putting into jet engines uh, for for aircraft. We can put in 100% Low, low carbon liquid fuels like HVO is the current best example. But the, the technology is moving really quickly, moving all the time. And there are new, novel, uh, advanced synthetic biofuels coming on the market all the time. But if we think about the fact that we have yet to meet any of our heat pump targets, the SEAI say we're not likely to meet the ones that we have in place. We need to be thinking about what else we can do. You, you, I so this at the, is a stopgap measure, you're saying? I think it's transitionary. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that, you know, we, we don't know what the low carbon liquid fuels that we might be selling in 10 years are right now because it's the, moving so quickly. The, the comparison when it comes to the cost? You know, a, a tank of kerosene versus a tank of this HVO? So if, because they're both commodities, both kerosene and HVO are commodities, they vary from, from at any given time. But I did a little bit of research before I came in. On average in 2023, there was about an 80% premium for HVO. So people are paying 80% more to use HVO for their heating. Today, it's about 65%. Okay, it's slightly less than the average. A lot. It is a lot. But if you think about there are people who are making real commitments to reduce their emissions, this is something that people are prepared to do for a premium. We also have to recognise that government has a hand in this because HVO, there's carbon tax applied to HVO as if it were kerosene. So that's about 12 cent a litre. litre. So that's something that can be addressed quite quickly. So this is part of your campaign as well, to have carbon tax removed from HVO? We think that carbon tax should be applied to fuels that emit carbon or to the extent that they they emit carbon. There is still some carbon that comes from HVO, but it should be a reduced rate, Mm -hmm. in our opinion. Yeah, and there are also question marks about how HVO is produced and how it is verified and how much damage it's actually doing. 
Well, I think we sometimes get confused because what we're talking about is sustainable HVO. There are allegations, and I think there are some fair allegations, that there's risk of fraud in the HVO supply chain. But to, to suggest that fraudulent product, the existence of fraudulent product means that you shouldn't get the benefit of the real product, to me, seems a bit silly. It's like saying that because you can get a fake Prada handbag, you shouldn't be able to buy a Prada handbag. What we're interested in is the real thing. And the real thing is sustainable. Yes, we have to make sure that we can uh, get sufficient feedstocks to, to, to do the job. Uh, and that is going to be a challenge. But as this is ramping up, and you have to recognise that all of the work that is being done to uh, produce sustainable aviation fuel, all the research and development that's going mm -hmm. into that, is of advantage to Ireland's heating network because we're the only member state in Europe that uses kerosene for our home heating. OK, well, let's get Paul Dean's view on this. Is HVO biofuel sustainable? Uh, good morning, Claire. Look, I think Kevin is spot on there in terms of identifying the problem. We have a huge legacy problem in Ireland with home heating. And unfortunately, I suppose just, just, let's just put some numbers in it. If you're listening to the show this morning, if you're living in a house that was built before 2005, you're spending about €1,000 a year heating your home if you're using something like kerosene uh, or, or home heating oil. Now, Claire, of that €1,000 a year that you're spending, about €500 is actually leaking out through the walls, the windows, the floor to leaky houses, you know. So we've an incredibly wasteful housing stock, uh, unfortunately, in Ireland. Now, HBO, I think there's merit in HBO, but we need to be careful how we manage it. If you're heating your home today and it's costing you thousands of euros a year on kerosene, if you switch over to HBO, it's going to cost you a little bit more, maybe about 1,500. So the price goes up. Now, the pollution goes down because the emissions that were associated with the kerosene can be replaced by the zero or the carbon neutral emissions from HBO. Now, from a house owner's perspective, there's two kind of conflicting terms there. Your price goes up but your emissions go down. But the problem essentially doesn't go away. Instead of spending €1,000 a year now in oil and 500 of it being wasted, now you're spending about 1400 maybe €1,500 a year on HBO and about half of that being wasted. Mm -hmm. So I think HBO, is, is it, 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 there is merit in using it in the right places, but it's really putting a patch on the problem rather than dealing with the root cause. And the root cause, unfortunately, is this nettle that needs to be grasped in terms of how do we reduce the, well, how do we put financial measures in place really to help householders, householders insulate their homes so we're not wasting half of the money that okay, goes into but, in but, terms of heat. But if we look at HVO as perhaps a stopgap measure until we get to the point where, where we're, we're all living in retrofitted homes, do you think there's merit to Kevin's argument that the government should look at the carbon tax element on biofuels? Oh, certainly with the carbon tax element, yes. You know, there's no, there's no uh, uh, logic to put a carbon pollution tax on a fuel that doesn't pollute. So I would agree with Kevin there. But where I, have, where I would have a different, different perspective is on the economics and, the, uh, and on the environmental issues. And we touched on it there a little bit about this global challenge about potentially fraudulent activity happening outside of Europe. Now, just for the avoidance of doubt clear, to be clear, Kevin and the companies he represents and companies in Ireland are in no way involved with this fraudulent activity or associated with it or implicated with it. But there could be implications for us in Ireland 
if this is clamped down on and when this is clamped down on. So what's happening at the moment, it appears that there is relabeling of palm oil in places like Malaysia. Now, palm oil, some listeners might be familiar with it. It can be a very environmentally destructive fuel because the rainforests have to be ploughed up and torn up and plantations planted and that produces palm oil. And what tends to be happening at the moment, there's a relabeling of that palm oil in places like Malaysia and China. It's been sent, unfortunately, over to Europe uh, and it's coming into Europe. Europe to, uh, to avoid tax and it's, been, and it's been relabeled. Now, what does that mean for us? It means that if that is clamped down on, and it should be clamped down on, and I think the Irish government actually have a working group working on this at the moment, if it is clamped down, that will reduce the supply of HBO coming into Europe at a time when the demand is increasing. And that exposes us to a bit of a higher economic risk because if the supply goes down while the demand goes up, the price will go up. So from a homeowner's perspective, we need to go into this with our eyes open. The premium that we're paying now for HBO over kerosene could be more mm-hmm. in the future depending on how this plays yeah. out. So okay, in many ways so you're solving an environmental problem but an economic problem still remains. That's the whole thing with this. I mean, Kevin, it just sounds really expensive and as Paul has explained, it's going to get even more expensive. Look, I don't think there's any cheap way of doing this, but it's a lot more expensive to think that we don't solve the problem. You know, the environmental crisis that we're in requires a response and, and the financial cost is nothing to the monumental human cost that, that we're looking at. But apart from the carbon tax element, we're expecting the householder to absorb this. Well, I think whatever happens, the household is going to absorb something. So if you think about deep retrofitting and heat pumps, that's a huge capital expenditure. It's a one-off payment. And yes, their running costs are considerably lower. Uh, and it, look, let's be frank, it makes a huge amount of sense to put a heat pump in if you have a, a, a highly energy-efficient house or you're creating a highly en- energy-efficient house. Paul's absolutely right. I didn't ag- disagree with the word he said. We've no interest in, in energy inefficiency. It doesn't serve anybody. Or it, or you might say it might serve my members' very, very short-term interest because they sell a bit more now. What you're looking at doing is creating the maximum bang for your book. So some of the shallow retrofit elements that can be done, uh, which are now harder to get funding for from the SEI because they expect you to bring it up to a, a, a higher level before you can qualify for any of the grants. So basic insulation then to seal basic. your house so that what you're spending on fuel is actually yeah. being used to heat your home. And when you, know, you were talking about the one-stop shop. Actually, my association uh, runs one of the largest one-stop shops in the country. We invest about 55 million a year in energy efficiency measures, um, which, which we fund through a, through a levy on our products. So we're really in this space. We, we understand this space. We know what works. We also know that there are the, the low-hanging fruit that you can do in any house or, or should be done in any house uh, are really effective at, re- at increasing the energy efficiency. You combine that with an, an energy-efficient system and you combine that with some lower carbon liquid fuels and you can have a significant impact. It's not the permanent solution. It's not mm-hmm. the thing we all hope for ultimately but it is something that makes a contribution right now. Okay, let's say somebody is interested in converting the boiler that they have to a boiler that can use HVO. What does that cost? So right now, if you have a non-condensing boiler, there is no support from uh, SEI or government in any sense to to, to replace that. So it's going to cost two and a half, perhaps €3,000 to buy and have it installed. Mm -hmm. That's what it's going to cost. But day one you will reduce your consumption by about 25%. So the €1,000 that Paul quoted as being the average heating bill will be down to 750 this year. And you'd have that every year going forward. We think the government should support a, a kind of a boiler scrapage scheme. Paul said scheme. it's going to be more expensive if you use HVO. 
Well, you can use kerosene in that or you can use uh, an advanced synthetic or biofuels. We think that ultimately we need to switch toward that. And we are at a stage where it is early adoption right now. So there is a price premium. He's right. The measures that are being taken to uh, eliminate the risk of fuel fraud, and I'm on that expert group that he mm-hmm. talked about. Uh, you also have to look at the the EU has its union database, which will be in, in full operation by November of this year, which should eliminate all of the risk of that. If we get to that stage, the economies of scale ramp up. People are encouraged to actually get into this market. We should, under normal market conditions, see the price of advanced synthetic and biofuels coming down over time. Okay, but well, it's not going to be immediate. Paul, a listener says, please consider the effect on global food prices, land for food versus land for fuel. And that's an argument that has been made very often around this conversation. Yeah, look, and that's that's a fair point, you know, and this is really, you know, so we need to go into this with our eyes wide open. And that's why I think it's very important from the government's perspective that they conclude this report into the into the potential fraudulent activity, because it's a, it's a sustainable HBO is a really important resource. It's so versatile. It can be used to decarbonize elements of transport, elements of heating. It's a scarce resource and it's a precious resource. It must be very clever how we use it. Uh, and I think once we once we establish and put in safeguards in terms around the, the, the fraudulent activity, then we will know how much we have and they can really sit back in and say, well, where is the best place we can use it within the, within the wider mm-hmm. energy system? We had that long discussion during the week about retrofits and the biggest problem that came up, and you both have an interest in this, Kevin, you have too, as you explained, is that people have to front up the money uh, up front and it's quite a complicated process then to get to the point where your grant is paid to you. There's huge waiting lists when you go to one of the one-stop shops. Paul, is there a way that that's system could be simplified and made more accessible. Yeah, and I thought the discussion on Wednesday was very interesting because like, it demonstrates there's a huge appetite from the public out there. But while the interest is there, not everybody has the money. And one of the things that we would be advocating here in UCC is the idea of project-linked finance. So the idea there, it's very radical. It's a different way of thinking about the financing. Um, so the idea there is that a homeowner take a loan of, let's say, let's just say, for example, to make the, the math simple on myself, you, you, you borrow €80,000 to get your home deep retrofitted. But the repayments are linked to the lifetime of the property, which is typically 100 to 120 years, rather than your economic lifetime to pay back 20 years, for example. So let's say in my case, if I borrowed 80,000 euros um, um, from uh, through this property-linked finance, the debt remains with whoever's in the property. So if I pass on or I die or pass the house on to my kids or whatever, they would make those repayments then over a 100-year period. So rather than paying back, let's say, €4,000 a year, which would be required under a conventional loan, even at zero interest, which would be very, very high because you're not recovering any savings, you'd be paying back €800 a year. And the nice thing about that, really, clear, is that from a fairness perspective, the benefit will remain with the householder, whoever they are, but mm-hmm. the debt shouldn't be all leaped on the house owner straight up. Okay. The state would have to step in and take the take the take responsibility for the for the finance. So that would either be a state guaranteed loan or coming directly from the state uh, over the period of the lifetime of the property. Exactly. Yes, okay. and it'd be something it can really clear. To the, let's say to the property tax. You know, we'd be paying yes. that a small bit every year, but over the lifetime of the property, which okay. extends beyond our lifetime itself. Kevin, would that work? Well, I, I don't know the details of that particular scheme, but as a UCC graduate, I'm going to tend to support what Paul says is coming from UCC. Uh, but what I do think is, is, is really significant is that we have currently supports that are in place, and really to access those supports, you have to be fairly well off. So in order to front up the money before you can get the grant, you need to have that, ava- yep. that money available to you. 
And then you also have to pick up the other two thirds, which isn't covered by the grant. And in the same way as the supports that are there in place for switching to EVs, to think of another part of my business, you know, you have to be kind of well off in order to avail of those supports. What we actually need to do is make sure that we're providing support for everybody to get involved in this process, because what's happening at the moment is we are leaving people behind. The people who don't have the cash to move to a heat pump and to do a, a, perhaps a deep retrofit, who don't have the cash to move to an EV, are being left behind. And the the and it's not about this particular government. It's not a party political point mm -hmm. for, because for many years we have had the approach that we'll keep increasing the price of fossil fuels and that that will in some way deter people from using them. And it, it doesn't happen. Last year when we had the record price for fuel, we sold more than ever before. Okay. Well, look, as, as Paul said, the appetite is definitely there. And we saw that coming through uh, on the level of messages that we got when we discussed this in detail on Wednesday. And I'm sure this is going to come up again when we get to our Friday gathering in the next hour. But for now, Kevin McPartland and Dr. Paul Dean, thank you both very much for joining us. Now, still to come in the next hour, from continuing questions for RTE to budget constraints in an already stretched HSE. The Friday gathering, as I said, is going to discuss the news from the week gone by. We'll also hear about a new Irish study that hopes to understand the signs, symptoms and treatment of a particular form of arthritis. That's in the next hour, but coming up next in the UK, the Tories have suffered a double blow in the by-elections overnight. We'll get the very latest. Text 51551 Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1.